Somebody's saying, what is he doing up there? I think in all the years I've been here at High Point Church, let's fix this mic before we go any further, please. Sounds like I'm in a barrel somewhere. I think I have been behind this pulpit about one other time. So, um, Pastor Magine asked me a couple of weeks ago, he said, we're going to be out of town. Would you, would you speak Sunday morning that we're gone? And I said, sure. Put a little mo on this mic. Take some of the high off of it, please. Turn the monitors off completely. And I said I would. And as I look around this morning... I almost think I wish you wouldn't have announced I was going to be able to speak here this morning. So hopefully that's not why everybody's not here. But I'm glad that you're here. This is a, a very special day, um, a sad day. We, we feel very privileged to have had Megan as part of not just our church family, but the Goldsberry family for the last four years. Um, we have been blessed. We are just privileged. And be, but the good thing is because of Megan... Coming into our lives, we have become very good friends with her parents and the rest of her family, and and so we're glad for that. And we are going to miss her, but I know that God has a tremendous work for her in her life. We have spent hours and hours and hours over the last four years just talking about those things. And I know that if I ever met somebody who had a heart for God, I know that it's Megan. And so I don't worry about her. I know she'll be fine because she's headed in the right direction. But this morning I want to speak for just a few minutes. And I don't want to ask you to stand because we're not going to read a scripture right away. I want to start with the words of a a great philosopher, Mr. Fred Rogers. Probably known best of most of us as Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers always opened up his children's show with a song that many many of us would know if we played it this morning, and I'm not going to play the whole song because it's so moving, but I will read the last stanza. So let's make the most, the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please, won't you please, please, won't you be my neighbor? And with those words in mind, I want to look at a question that Jesus addressed on while he was on earth. And the question was, who is my neighbor? I want to start by reading in Luke 10, verses 25 through 29. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? We see that Jesus was teaching, and and an expert of the law, most likely a Pharisee, stood up, and he questioned Jesus in order to test him. The man asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I'm sure that he thought Jesus will say something wrong and all of my friends will jump on him and will say that you're just a bad guy and you don't know what you're talking about. 
But Jesus' reply came to the man in the form of a question. He said, well, what is written in the law? Not willing to give in that easily, the man just simply quoted some of the law. The first was, love the Lord your God with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind. And then he said, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus replied, well, there you go. You go out and do those things and you'll be just fine. It's not exactly what he said, but somewhere along those lines. Still not willing to let it go, the expert of the law, hoping to trip up Jesus or make him look silly, he asked Jesus an abstract question, thinking, I'll get him now. And here was his question, okay then, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answered the question what we, with what we refer to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jeffrey, you might recognize some of this. Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 32. In, Jesus, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, where he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Seems that there was this man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. At least that's what the story tells us. And along the way, he fell into the hands of robbers who beat him, robbed him, took his clothes, left him on the side of the road to die. And as he lay there on the side of the road in this parable, Jesus says that a priest came by and did nothing. Now, we might think that a religious person would automatically stop and help this man. But he didn't. In fact, Jesus said that he passed to the other side of the road. Not only did he not even help him, he went to where he didn't even have to look at him. A little while later, Jesus said that a Levite came by and saw this man laying half dead on the side of the road, and he did nothing as well. In fact, he too passed on the other side of the road. And if you look at that part much of the story, you could stop right there and make a point and say that had it been left up to the religious elite of the day, the man would have laid there and died. And that brings us to Luke 10, verses 33 and 34. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and he saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. So Jesus continues in this parable, and he says that, after the priest and after the Levite, and probably after a lot of other people too, we won't just pick on the priest and the Levite, but after all of these people had passed by this Samaritan, or passed by this man on the side of the road, that a Samaritan came down the very same road, he saw the very same man that the priest and the Levite and everyone had else seen. But something was different. Now keep in mind this. In the minds of most of the Jews of that day, Samaritans were about the level of a dog. Chances are that the man that was laying there was a Jew. And for all we know, he felt the same way towards Samaritans that most of the other Jews felt in that day. But in spite of that, the Samaritan stopped and he helped the man. If you read the different accounts of this in the Gospels, you'll see that the Samaritan did not verify anything before he stopped to help the man. He didn't roll him over pull out his wallet, check his driver's license, and see, are you Jewish, are you Samaritan, are you from here? No. He saw a need. He sees this man laying there, who obviously is dying, and he says, I'm not content with just walking by. I'm not content with just turning my head. I have to do something 
to help that man. In fact, here's what he did. He saw this injured man. It says that he took pity on him. While that was more than what the priest or the Levite had done, he didn't stop at just showing pity. You see, a lot of times we can see a need and we can justify that we did something because we felt bad for the person. Which is more than what the other people did, but the Samaritan did not stop there. It says that he tended to the man's injuries. But it doesn't even end there. It says that the Samaritan took the injured man, he put him on his donkey, and he took him to an inn, and he cared for him. And you know what? It doesn't even end there. Now, if it were up to many of us, we would have probably stopped right about there and said, look, I've done a whole lot more than anybody else did. I took pity on him, which was a big step. And then I tended to his wounds, and then I took him to an inn and dropped him off. I'm about done. But that's not where it ended. In fact, Luke 10, and verse 35, the next day, this is a Samaritan, He took out two silver coins. He gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So the next day, the the Samaritan says, I really got to get going. He goes down to the innkeeper. He takes out a couple silver coins, and he says, I got to get going. You take care of him, whatever it costs. If this doesn't cover it, when I come back through here, I'll take care of it. Kind of leaving his credit card on file. You take care of him, whatever he needs, I promise you that I will reimburse you. With all that he had done, this man whose people were hated by the Jews kept on doing for someone that he didn't even know. And most of us at this point would have said, now that has to be enough. That just has to be enough. Verse 36, Jesus asked the lawyer, of the three men who came in contact with this man that fell into the hands of the robbers, which of them was a neighbor? Verse 37, the man answers a question. It's pretty an easy question. He said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus' response to this was simple and to the point. He said, go and do likewise. And the thing is that we have the same command today. Where we see a need, we should attempt to meet it. Where we see injustice, we should try to make it right. Where we see hurting, we should try to bandage the hurt. Where we see turmoil, we should be a messenger of peace and hope. These are the types of things that Christians are supposed to do. Now, don't anybody jump way ahead of me here and think that I'm talking about a religion of social justice. That's not what I'm talking about. Not even close. What I am talking about is a kind of love that is in us that causes us to look for the opportunity to help somebody. Because if it's done because we only had to, then it's really not very meaningful. 
It only means something. If somebody had held a gun, I know they didn't have guns back then, but if somebody held a gun to the Samaritan's head and said, do all these things, and he did all the things that Jesus said in the parable, it would have been meaningless. But he did them for one reason, because it was what was in his heart. Lewis Castles, the religion editor for the UPI, once said this, the love that Christ commands is not easy, even for people who are blessed with great warmth of heart. And it is not impossible even for those of us who tend to be crabby and short-tempered. For Christian love is not a vague feeling of affection for someone. It is rather a condition of the heart, and that will cause us to seek the welfare of others, including people we don't like and even people who have done us wrong. Jesus' point to this whole parable was that everyone that we come in contact with is our brother. He emphasized many times in his, in his teaching that pure love, Christian love, is not that warm and fuzzy feeling we get. But true love leads to actions that are visible and practical. If we have the love of Christ in us, it will show in the way that we live our life. It will show in the way that we treat other people. In fact, he gave the best example that we could ever have. Christ acted on our benefit. And we who know him must also act on the benefit of others. We are not to ignore those with whom we come in contact with. Those who we find in distress. Especially if the distress was not brought on by their own doing. Maybe by the actions of another. And in the parable, we see that a lot of different ways that, that this Samaritan gave. It wasn't just money. Too many times when we think about helping people, the only thing we think about is taking money out of our pocket and giving it to somebody, and that's our way of helping somebody. I have learned in the last few years that that is not always the best thing to do. There were times in my life when that was really not all that much of an issue. I had the money in my pocket. If somebody needed it, I'd just give it to them. And I was thinking that that was helping. And I found out later, if you watch over a period of time, that that's not always the best thing. Sometimes the best thing you can do is sit down and talk to somebody. Sometimes the best thing you can do is sit down and listen to somebody. The Samaritan, yes, he did take some money out of his pocket and give to the innkeeper. But the first thing he did was have pity. And the next thing he did was tend to the man's wounds. The next thing he did was put him on a donkey and take him somewhere where he could be continued, have continued care. So money is not always the answer. There's a story that I love so much. It's of a lady named Sharon Fish. It seems that Sharon was having a very difficult time finding a church for her mother, Pearl. First of all, they needed a church that was wheelchair accessible and one where the people would not be put off by her mother's Alzheimer's. One Sunday, they visited a church that had very wide aisles, even had a section in the back that was set aside just for wheelchairs. She thought, this is great. But what about the Alzheimer's thing? Her answer came during the sermon. At some point in the, the pastor's sermon, he said the word home. And in that same service was another man who had Alzheimer's. And upon hearing the word home, he stood and started singing, 
home on the range. The pastor, without missing a lick, he invited the entire congregation to stand. They sang home on the range. And then they were seated. And he continued on his sermon without a hitch. At that moment, Sharon knew that she had found a church for her mother. Because she knew she'd found a church that makes people feel loved. In this story of Sharon and her mother and so many other stories, we see that just as it was in Jesus' day, there are a lot of other ways that we can help people that are hurting. We also see that there are a lot of people out there that are hurting if we stop and take time to look. Maybe they're not hurting from being robbed and beaten. Maybe their hurt was caused by some unfortunate events that have taken place in their lives. Often it doesn't cost us a penny to address that hurt. Sometimes it takes a few minutes of our time to sit down and just show that we care and listen to what the person has to say. Our lives and our churches should be filled with examples of out-of-the-ordinary love. Our churches should be a place where people can walk in, a total stranger can walk in, and when they sit down just after a few minutes, they can say, I've never felt love like I feel in this place. Not some fake, sugary, sweet, sickening love, but a love that is without a doubt a reflection of God's love. Sometimes as Christians, we, we may find it hard to dist- demonstrate the kind of love that Jesus spoke of. It's because sometimes we get, we get sidetracked by things like fear, intolerance, resentment, misunderstanding, wrong assumptions, jealousy, and the list goes on and on. And we get so caught up in all of those emotions that we really forget about the thing that Jesus spoke the most of, and that is love. And then there's those times that we decide that we'll go ahead and show love anyway. And the response that we get is not always pleasant. Yeah, but, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. I'm sure that guy that, that the Samaritan took to the end when he came back by and paid the rest of the bill, that man thanked him and maybe he did. But I will tell you this, it doesn't always end that way. Sometimes we show love and those silly people just don't show it back. It just happens. And that doesn't mean that we quit loving. We cannot be discouraged by that. How do we not become discouraged? We look at Jesus himself. He never harmed anyone. He never said a a, a wrong word to anyone. And yet he was killed by the very same people that he came to redeem. The one thing that remains true is this. And I've told Jeffrey this before. If we do the right thing for the right reason, it will always be the right thing for the right reason. A little simplistic, but true. We might feel the pain of being unappreciated. The pain of being misunderstood and and the pain of not being recognized for our sacrifice. 
And it, it might not be the same kind of physical pain that Jesus endured, but it can be hurtful at times when we feel crucified by others, sometimes even by fellow Christians. That happens? Oh, yeah. The natural response, and I'm speaking for myself, the natural response is to strike back, to get revenge, to vow never to help someone again, to promise never to love again to the point of being able to be hurt. But the truth is this, in those times, it's when we really have the opportunity to show the same kind of love that Christ had. When we love and we aren't loved in return. We are to love those that hate us. How hard is it to love those who love us? The Samaritan did not qualify the man that he found on the side of the road as to his worthiness. He didn't run a credit check on him. He saw a need, and he said, I can take care of this, and he did. He didn't question the man as to his feelings towards Samaritans. He saw a need, and he did what he could to meet it. He didn't check to see if the man would be able to pay him back when all was said and done. No. Again, he simply saw a need, and he did what was in his, within his power to meet it. Here's an interesting thing, too. He didn't put a limit on the innkeeper. He said, whatever this man needs, if this isn't enough, when I get back, I'll take care of it. And one more time, he saw a need, and he did everything within his power to make it right. We don't know the reasons that the the priest and the Levites didn't stop to help the man. It's very possible that they were just too busy in their service to God to stop and help somebody that was hurting. In research done by Darley and Batson at Princeton University in 1973, a group of theology students were directed to go across campus to deliver a sermon on the topic of the Good Samaritan. As part of the research, some of these students were told that they were late and needed to hurry. What these theology students didn't know was that along their route, or route, whichever you prefer, along their route across campus, Darley and Batson had hired an actor to play the role of a victim who was coughing, coughing and suffering. Ninety percent of the late students at Princeton Theology Seminary ignored the needs of the suffering person in haste to get across campus. This is what the study reported. Indeed, on several occasions, a seminary student going to give his talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan literally stepped over the victim as he hurried away. We as Christians need to be very careful that we don't get so caught up in our ministry or calling that we ignore the obvious needs that are right in front of us. Sometimes, let me rephrase that, many times, our ministry or calling is what God puts in front of us right now. 
Yeah, but I've got, I've got to be across campus to teach on the Good Samaritan. I don't have time to stop and help somebody. And we laugh at those people and go, those silly people. And we walk out the door. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves doing the same thing. But I'm busy doing my ministry. I don't have time to do ministry. Most of us from time to time are guilty of trying to rationalize who our neighbor is. It's easy. Jesus made it really easy. It's whoever we come in contact with. And the parable also points out this, that it doesn't matter who we come in contact, who the person is or what that person is, our response should always be the same. If we're Samaritans and they're Jews and we know that they hate us, we still respond the exact same way. But they don't like me. I don't want to help them. Doesn't matter. It teaches us that we must show mercy toward others just as we have been shown mercy. And then Jesus gave the final final thing of this whole whole situation of, of the expert in the law trying to trip him up. After the, the expert in the law came back around and said, well, the person that obviously was a neighbor was the one that stopped and helped the guy. Jesus looks at him and says, then go and do the same thing. I would feel safe in saying that there are probably at least three groups of people who fit into this message. The first would be those who have been saved for years, who have lived for God for many, many years, and still have not grasped the concept of caring for others. Or possibly we have grasped the concept of caring for others, but we are a bit like the priest and the Levi. We're a little bit too selective or a little bit too busy in our ministry to worry about people. Another group of people that might be here today would be those who would be saying to themselves, what has gotten into this guy and caused him to say things like this? That is just crazy talk. Let me explain. It's actually quite simple. When a person who has truly experienced the grace of God, it will cause them to look at those around them differently. We realize that we have done nothing to deserve salvation. That's what grace is. We were all sinners, and we only deserve to die for those sins. That's all we deserve. And yet, in spite of that, God gave His only Son to die for me and you, that we could have salvation. It's when we see the role that Jesus played in this plan of salvation. He never sinned. He never said a harsh word. He never did anything to even hurt somebody's feelings. All the life that He lived... And he gave that up so that I could be saved. And when we really grasp that kind of grace, we understand what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. Receiving something we don't deserve. And if we really truly experience grace, we suddenly find that it is so much easier to follow the words of Jesus and go and do likewise. Because we realize what's been done for us. And if you never have before, I invite you before you leave this place today to experience the grace of God.
It is free. And I've already said, I have done nothing to deserve it. There is nobody here that has done anything to deserve it. And don't worry if you feel like you don't deserve it. I'll just help you with that. You don't. But the greater fact is that it's promised to you. And then there's a third group of people that are possibly here today as well. Maybe you've experienced grace. But somewhere along the way, you feel as if maybe you've been beaten and robbed and left on the side of the road. Maybe you feel right now in your life that you've done everything you could to live for God. And in spite of that, you feel like you're laying on the side of the road dying. To that third group, I would say that there is healing. One of the things that we hardly ever read into the parable of the Good Samaritan is that there was healing for the man that was hurt. There is healing for whatever you're feeling. Maybe it's a physical hurt. Maybe it's an emotional hurt. You see, it really doesn't matter. God will show you grace. He will show you pity. But as it was with the Samaritan, it doesn't just stop at pity. He will wrap His arms of love around you. He will let you know that He is there. And that He will even be there when the hurt is a distant memory. Because that's how much He loves us. What I really want us to grasp today is that regardless where you find yourself in this parable, in this story today, maybe you've been living for God for years, yet you've never really grasped the meaning behind this parable. You never really got what Jesus was trying to say, that everyone we come in contact with is our neighbor, no matter who it is, and that as the Samaritan, we are to go and do likewise. Maybe you've never experienced the the love and grace of God at all. Maybe you have, but right now you're hurting. As the musicians come. No matter which of these that describes you, let me tell you that God is here and He loves you. Whatever character you find yourself playing in the story of the Good Samaritan, God loves you. I will tell you this also, that God does not want you to leave this place the same way that you came in. If you came in today and you were hurting, you don't have to leave this place hurting. If you came in this place today and you didn't understand what grace is, you don't have to leave until you experience exactly what that grace is. You don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. Grace doesn't care what you've done. I will tell you that God offers forgiveness. He offers salvation. He offers healing. And that healing is for whatever kind of hurt you're feeling today. To answer the question of who is my neighbor, it would be a simple answer. We are all each other's neighbor. 
You're mine, I'm yours. And not because I am hearing God speak to me at this very moment that there's someone here that's hurting. I will tell you, when you get any group of people together of any size, there is somebody in that group that is hurting. Please let me assure you that you don't have to leave here today with the hurt that you walked in the door with. In fact, I'm not going to ask anybody just to to walk down here. Since there were so many different people in the story, a lot of people would say, well, if I walk down there, everybody's going to wonder which person I was. So I'm going to make it real easy. I want us all to stand. And I think it'd be good if we just all kind of moved to the middle here. Everybody just moved to the middle. We're going to really truly reach across the aisle. Move on out. Grab the person's hand that across the aisle there. The person you're holding hands with is your neighbor on both sides. And there's not an awful lot of us here today. But we're all neighbors. We're all in this together. And I want us just to take a few minutes this morning as the singers sing. I want us just to take a few moments and pray for each other. Because I really don't think there's anything that is more important this morning than for us to know and really feel what the love of God is and what it is intended to be. And to know without a doubt that we have been in the presence of God today in this place. Could we do that just for a few moments? Could we just pray one for another?